0: You may have noticed one of the inserts in your bulletin this week respects a new sermon series that we're starting for these eight weeks. It's about covenant community. It's about the community of the church and how Jesus is fashioning the body of Christ into a community that supports one another and carries the gospel out into the world. We'll be looking at various texts on this topic for the next eight weeks, taking a bit of a break from our exposition of the Gospel of Luke. I've done this a few times before, and then we will pick back up at the Last Supper, finishing the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it is important for us to remember that the Gospel is not just about the salvation of individual sinners. It certainly is an important part. But Jesus did not come just to save individuals. He came to bring saved individuals into a shining community to worship the living God for all eternity and to be his vehicle for carrying the message of salvation throughout all the world. And so we will be looking at these things in various aspects or various views over the next eight weeks. This week, we're going to begin by looking at what it means to be a humble community. A humble community. And the text I'd like us to focus on for this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely Authoritative Philippians chapter 2: Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would use your word, use your word to fashion us more and more in the image of Christ. For we long to know him. We long to be like him. We long to be with him. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, the design for our series here these next eight weeks is to describe a biblical picture of what the church is to be like. It is to be a covenant community, founded by the covenant of God and brought together in union with Christ. It is our union with Christ that gives us communion one with another. And this is actually what Jesus' design has always been. He came to save sinners... And to bring them together into a community to worship Him. This is exactly what He did in His last days as He gathered together the apostles around a meal to encourage them. And then sent them out as witnesses to testify to the glory of His name. That more and more might be brought into communion with each other. This morning we will be looking at what it means to be a humble community. Because you see, first and foremost, humility is God's design for community. It is not something that is a good growth mechanism. It is not something that is a good plan that we have dreamt up in the church. No, a community that is humble is something that God has designed in His Word. Secondly, we will see that we see this humility in Jesus' example. That Jesus' example is that the community is to be humble. And then thirdly, as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that humility is the mark of the community. Humility is God's design. Humility is seen in Jesus' example. And humility is the mark of the community of God. Let's begin then by looking at God's design for His community. This is a very famous passage that we are looking at. Especially the section from verse 5 and following. It has been known as a hymn about Christ from the ancient church. It is Paul's wondrous description of who Jesus is and how He became man. But we cannot look at this passage as merely an academic recitation of the nature of Jesus. It comes to us in a context. The purpose of this passage is Paul bringing the word of God to us to let us know how we are to live. You remember that in chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul has been describing how the gospel is being furthered and how it is going out throughout the land, as only Paul can do. Because could you imagine anyone else rejoicing in the fact that they had been arrested because the authorities would be chained to them 24 hours a day? Paul sees that not as an inconvenience, but as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And this is what he is bringing to us. And he says at the beginning of the chapter, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Paul is giving us a prescription of what it means to be the people of God and to be drawn together. The context is a community brought together by the spreading of the gospel. And the very first thing that he tells us is that we are to value others above ourselves. And this is an absolute notion. Look at what Paul says. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, Paul, as a good preacher, does not want to leave any of us in his listening ear The opportunity to wriggle out of his grasp. His statement is absolute. He says you are to do nothing with rivalry or conceit. He is not describing a part of the community. It is not simply that there are some people in the church who are called to be humble and that there is to be humility seen in the church. The church is to be humble. It is to be a humble community, a community drawn together in the image of Christ. Now, we might expect Paul was only speaking to some if he was talking about a gift of humility. And I think often that's what we wish was the case. We wish there was a gift of humility, like a gift of teaching or a gift of administration. And then we could say to ourselves, well, we just don't have that gift Others in the church have that gift, and so it's okay if we're not as humble as we need to be. But you'll notice, Paul doesn't give us that option. This is not something for some believers. It's not something for gifted believers. It is not a gift we exercise. It is a characteristic of the individual believer, and therefore, the entire community. You are called to this right now as surely as if Paul were standing here, pointing at you, saying, do nothing by rivalry or conceit. Now, Paul is also not giving you the option to be humble in some things. You see, it is easy to be humble about some things, isn't it? For myself, it's very easy to be humble about my lack of ability in doing repair work around the house. Everyone knows it. There's no hiding it if you're around me for more than a half an hour. And so I can easily say there are so many. Most of you all, both men and women, are better at it than I am. But that's not what Paul is calling us to. Because you see, that would be easy, wouldn't it? That would be an out. What Paul is calling us to is to be humble, more importantly, when we are able in something. When it is something that we are good at when it is something that others recognize as an ability we have. Because, you see, we must keep in check our natural tendency toward pride. Let's face it, our natural tendency is to be competitive, isn't it? You see this in all aspects of life, even things that don't make any sense at all. You walk up to someone and they say to you, you know, last week I was really sick. And you're either tempted or you actually say, you were sick. You should have seen how sick I was last month. We try to compete in being more sick than someone else. Because you see, that's our natural tendency. We want to win. We want to be on the stage. We want others to see us. This is what Paul knows. We naturally think more of ourselves than we ought And so what Paul tells us is we are not to do things by way of rivalry, trying to one-up others, or by conceit. You know, there's an old translation of this word conceit that captures it perfectly. It's the word vain glory, which is exactly what it sounds like, two words put together. A vain or empty or worthless glory that we have for ourselves. Paul says we must flee these things And we must be active in valuing others more highly than ourselves. He's counterintuitive in the way he talks. He says, in humility, we are to count others more significant than ourselves. Now, this goes beyond realism. Again, it is a simple task to realize that others are more valuable in things that we are not capable of doing. It is not difficult for me to look at someone who knows how to crochet or knit very well and to acknowledge they are surpassing me in that. That is an easy task. But do you see what Paul says? He says, in lowliness of mind, in humility of mind, being conscious about it, we are to count others more significant, to have surpassed us. Now this word for count is a word you know from the Bible. An old way to translate this word count is the word reckon. You know, as in Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. This Bible word count means determining something to be true even if it is not the case or not obviously the case. Abraham was counted righteousness because of the righteousness of God, not because of his own righteousness. And so if you think about that in this context, Paul is calling you and me to count or acknowledge or reckon others as superior to ourselves in areas in which we are very good. Now how can we do that? How is that possible? The only way it is possible is if we are humble about ourselves. Is if we don't think too highly of ourselves, but we think first of others. And you see, this is not a better option for us to undertake. This is a command that comes from the living God and His Word. Because you see, our natural tendency is to think about ourselves and the things that concern us, not about others. Think about it. The things that are closest to us grab our attention. We focus on the economy, particularly with respect to the industry that we are in. We think about children, particularly with reference to how many children we have and what their ages are. We think about our lives first. And what Paul says is we are to, in lowliness of mind and humility, look to others first. You see, it's easy for the things close to us to be important. It's easy for the things close to us to be the things that we put time into. But part of being a portion of a covenant community is to lift others up to see their desires, their needs, and to think of them. You see, the way we counteract these natural tendencies is we also have supernatural tendencies, don't we? Because, you see, it is true that we are not who we once were. If we are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, it is because we have placed our trust and faith in the work of Jesus to free us from our sins and to make us a new creation. And That actually happens. We cease to be who we were and we become who we are now. The change has been accomplished by Jesus. And in the midst of this, knowing this change, we very importantly know that we are not sufficient, that we are not able, that we cannot make it happen. And we know that we need others around us to encourage us and to help us along the way. You see, because we have been supernaturally touched by the grace of God, we can look at others and their interests more highly than our own. But it's not just that God gives us a command. He also gives us the great example. The example of Jesus. We see this in verse 5 and following. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. You see, what humility means is not to grasp after our own. This is what Jesus does. Paul is not telling you this morning to simply do better. It will not help you if you are skillful in seeming humble so you can be, ironically, proud of your humility. No, this is a gospel principle that Paul wants you to work out in your life and in the church. He's describing a change in being. He says, have this mind in yourselves. Now, lest you think this is merely a matter of thinking, look closely at what Paul says about this mind. He says, this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, which may be yours. He doesn't say, which will be yours. He says, it is yours, and it is yours. Why? Because you are in Christ Jesus. You see, this mind is a way of thinking. It is an attitude about how we live. It is a practical outworking of the gospel. And it points us to our union with Christ. You see, that is how the gospel comes to us. We are united with Christ. He takes on our sins We receive His righteousness. And as we all gather around the foot of the cross, we are united to Christ and we have communion with one another. This is a command that Jesus gives that is grounded in fact. He says, it is yours. You can Exercise humility. You can seek after it, not because of how hard you seek, but because of what Jesus has done. And this is about more than just acknowledging the truth, having a mind that understands the truth. Because you see, we can understand on some level that we need help. We can understand on some level that we want to avoid loneliness. Those who are apart from Christ can even understand that. But you see, when we know and understand that Jesus had the reality, that He is God, that He does not need us, but for the sake of His body, He did not hold on to what was His. He did not grasp. We see truly what it means to be humble. What are you grasping onto now? Is it acknowledgement from others? Is it having your own needs met? Is it having your preferences on top? You see, so much of the modern church is me-centered. It is having our own needs, our own desires met, our own priorities prioritized by the entire community. We are willing to grasp and hold on to these things even to the detriment of the community and the gospel but not so our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave up and humbled himself that his people might be gathered together to him. Jesus also did not seek self-importance. Jesus gives us the opposite example of where we typically go. He made himself nothing, verse 7 says, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You see, where we typically want to go is in the opposite direction. The world is constantly teaching us that we deserve it. Isn't it? All you have to do is watch about 20 minutes of commercials to figure that out. You deserve a new car. You deserve a vacation you can't pay for. You deserve someone to serve you. That's the way of the world. You need to look out for number one. Put yourself first. If you don't take care of yourself, who will? Put your priorities at the top of the ledger. We've even seen in our society today to come to a place where marriages don't last because spouses have a desire to live in different parts of the country. And that desire is stronger than the bond that carries them together as marriage. You see, our desire is that we want to be honored And glorified. Think about the world that we live in. Think about the world that we live in where everyone who participates in a sport needs a trophy. Think about a sensitive culture we live in where there are certain words you cannot say because they might make someone feel bad or upset. And then there are certain words you can't say about the certain words because then people will get upset and afraid. This is the world that we live in, seeking our own self-importance, putting ourselves first. But Jesus did not do this. He showed his humility. He emptied himself. Now, this does not mean that Jesus lost who he was. He actually, in emptying himself, deprived himself of his proper place. That's what that means. He actually humbled himself by adding, he did not cease to be truly God, he became also truly man. He took on human nature. You see, this is how Jesus humbled himself. And he lived out that humility, serving his lessers. You know how big of a challenge that is, don't you? When you have to serve someone who isn't as good at something as you are, or isn't as kind, or as thoughtful. What a great challenge that is. Think about if you were Jesus, and everyone was less thoughtful than you. Everyone was harsher than you. Everyone was a sinner but you. And yet you chose to serve others. Jesus became humble in obedience to his Father to in a way in which we can never really understand. Paul describes it, but what does it mean to know that Jesus was obedient even to a death on the cross? We cannot plumb the depths of what it means not only to die a painful and shameful death, but to experience separation From God himself. But this, ironically, is Jesus' glory. Do you see what Paul says? He humbled himself to the point of death. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. Because Jesus was humbled, he is exalted, and exalted above all others. Brothers and sisters... God's economy is very hard for us if we are honest with ourselves. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. If we deny ourselves, we will receive Him. Take up your cross daily. You see, it is only by humbling ourselves that we see our true purpose and meaning. And it is only by gathering together in a community that is humble do we see what a gathering of people was meant to be as Jesus forges for himself an eternal people. You see, if we see Jesus as our example and if we understand what it means to be humble then humility will be a mark of our community. It will be a mark of our community first and foremost in following Jesus. Now, How does this relate to us? You see, we are united to Christ. And we are the body of Christ. And we are also the ambassadors of Christ. And so our humility begins before the face of Jesus. We are to follow His lead. We are to do His will. We are to obey His command. That's what being His people is all about. You see, we cannot stand as His witnesses, as His ambassadors before a watching world and deny who He is. We cannot put ourselves first and say that Jesus is our everything. This is actually what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to follow Him. It is more than a momentary humbling. It is more than a moment on the knees and a few words each and every day we are to take up our cross. Why? Because each and every day I must focus less and less on me and more on Jesus. This is how you cultivate a habit, isn't it? I took up the habit about a month ago of learning Spanish through Rosetta Stone. And I wanted to cultivate... This habit of learning. And so what I did was I committed myself each day to begin to learn. I put a reminder task on my computer so it would nag me if I didn't. And for several weeks I became quite skillful in saying things like man, woman, apple, rice, dog, cat in Spanish. But then something interesting happened. I went to Mexico for a week, where I was around all Spanish speakers. But the one thing I couldn't do was keep up with my daily habit with Rosetta Stone and the Spanish. I began to forget words. I was driving around saying, now what's the word for horse again? How do you say drive? You see, I had gotten out of the habit. And then when I came back, there was another effect. When you leave off of a habit, it becomes much more difficult to reintegrate into that habit. You see, this is, spiritually speaking, what we are called to do with humility, to practice it each and every day with our children, with our spouses, with our parents, with our neighbors, with our co-workers. We are to cultivate this habit of humility following after Jesus so that others will see us and know we have been with Christ. But finally, it's not just following Jesus. It's also in proclaiming Jesus that we are called to be humble. You see, Paul reminds us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the end goes far beyond us, doesn't it? Being a part of the people of God, belonging to Jesus, is about more than just doing as we ought to do. Being moral. There is a higher end. That higher end that is at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That we are to proclaim Jesus, and not our own preferences, and not our own desires, and not our own wants. This is the great challenge for the 21st century American church. The American church has spent many, many decades with great wealth and comfort. We consider it a shock if we do not have the type of instruments we want. We consider it a shock if we do not have the type and translation of Bible that we want. We consider it a shock if others do not serve us at the time and the way that we want. This mentality has destroyed the community nature of the church. It used to be akin to a divorce if someone left one church for another. It was like a death in the family if someone left the church. But today, we have a consumer mentality. We want what we want proclaimed, not Jesus. But that's not the biblical definition of the body of Christ and the community of Christ. We need to be actively finding ways to serve others that Jesus might get all the glory. It's not just our church that's important. It's not just our theology that's important. Brothers and sisters... In America today, we need to stop focusing only on the battle and wondering how much ground are we losing in the culture? How many things can we not do? Why do people not think more highly of the church? We need to start focusing on Jesus and His word and His proclamation. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, either as His child Or as his defeated enemy. We need to put aside our glory and our preferences. And our end needs to be the glory of God in the confession of Jesus by the watching world. How can we do this? Well, you see, our external ability, the external expression of the church is driven by the internal change in you and me. You see, as God works in our lives, making us more and more like Jesus, making each one of us more humble, showing us ways and opportunities to put others before ourselves, to serve others, to not want what we want when we want it. As we do this, it begins to drive us outward in mission. For we begin to truly see what it is like to be in a community where love is seen and others are put before others and that will change the world it is something not only that others will see but that we will want them to see are you ready now to be a humble community because it starts today it may not get finished today but it starts today as you go home children serve your parents Parents, encourage your children. Spouses, put the other's needs ahead of yours. This is what Jesus has called us to. He wants us to be a vibrant, living, shining example of his community in a world that needs Jesus. And that begins, ironically, with us shedding more and more of ourselves and showing others more and more of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are indeed the glorious one. That there is none like you, Father. O Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are glorious in all that you have done. And we thank you that you humbled yourself that we might See your glory. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you do in our hearts and in our lives, bringing hard providences at times to humble us. Lord, help us to be a humble community before the world, that they might see Jesus as they look at us. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.